You are listening to Austin's Laundry, a podcast for the curious. This is where we give the scoop on Austin's creative scene, our city's small founded businesses, and discuss the culture that makes Austin so incredibly influential. My name is Elliot James, and I invite you to join me in discovering the new world behind creating and supporting small business and how tapping into one's passion can affect and build a community. Without further ado, let's get started. What's up, guys? On today's episode, we have Jane Co from the Taste of Cocoa brand. Jane, tell us a little bit about how you got started, a little bit about your brand in general. Thanks for having me. And I always forget that you can't see that I'm smiling on a podcast, <laughs> but I hope that's coming through my voice. Yeah. Um, yeah. So A Taste of Cocoa hit 10 years this March, Wow. Um, which was, you know, it, it was a big accomplishment hitting a decade. And that was definitely not something I kind of expected hitting um, just because, you know, 10 years is a really long time. So I started Taste of Cocoa in 2010 when I was about a junior going to school at UT Austin and I was getting my degree in nutrition that I realized that I was probably not going to do anything with and I needed to figure out what I was going to do with my life versus all my peers that were going to med school, law school, business school, all this higher education and going to become all these like amazing future citizens and I didn't know what I was gonna do so I was like you know what vlog is really cool and it looks like something where you can share your I guess opinions on even though I'm not like I was never a strong writer but I just thought this is something that I can own it's a project that I can do so I googled how to build a website and I built a tasteofcoco.com by myself and it I've hired web developers and designers over the years and the website has gone through a ton of different revisions since. So you didn't know whenever you first got started that it was going to become anything close to what it is now or did you kind of have a feeling like hey this feels right I know there's something bigger and did you kind of know what that thing was going to turn into? No I definitely didn't because I came from a different time era and I know that sounds super old (laughs) (laughs) like very dated. I get this question a lot from people who want to start becoming, you know, maybe an influencer on Instagram or they're like, oh my gosh, I love your blog. How did you get started? And is your website like a preset? And I'm like, no, it is not. It's custom built. And I think in the last couple of years, it seems like just because I think the success of A Taste of Cocoa has been growing rapidly and it seems like I was like an overnight success but it definitely wasn't because it was a decade in the making and at that time in 2010 there wasn't anyone that you could really compare yourself to and I think if we're talking just in the little pocket here in Austin there are several successful bloggers and influencers so it is easy to compare yourself because I think I don't know I, I think maybe a lot of people use my brand as the baseline right or maybe it's like the goal to get to, I don't know. Um, But back then I definitely didn't have anyone that was really doing that in Austin. And the few people I was inspired and reading at that time were all national bloggers who don't live in this area. So I definitely didn't know what you could do. Nobody was making money on blogging back then. So that was definitely not a goal. And growing up, I was always taught the safe thing and the right thing to do was to find a nine to five 
yeah. and you just do that for 60 years, I guess. <laughs> that's it's it's like that's that that's what we were taught and it's funny because whenever we're looking to make career moves whether it's for ourselves or finding a team that we're we're excited about I feel like it's been very much programmed that 9 to 5 is your typical lifestyle but being yourself an entrepreneur do you find that you work less than 9 to 5 would you say that you work more what is that that schedule, I guess, look like for you since you're always, it seems like out and about creating. I would love to work nine to five and looking back, I'm like, maybe I made the wrong decision. So the thing is my dad has always worked really long hours. And I think subconsciously that was always embedded me because I also wonder why I work so many long hours. I definitely wouldn't say he's obsessed well, maybe he is obsessed with this job because he does work a lot of long hours. But I think it's a little different. And I, I've tried explaining this to him because he's um, the director of his department. He's like, why do people not work as hard as you do? Like, if I just had people like you who work in my department, then we would, you know, we'd be making goals and doing amazing things for the company. I'm like, Dad, it's a little different. Like, I work for myself. So anything I do, I immediately get a reaction. Like I get another project or I get a like yeah. or I get a comment. Like there's instant gratification. I think that's a little different when you work for a company because I've also worked for different agencies and companies in the past. And I mean, I excelled in them, but I never made it past a year for any of those companies because I wasn't getting that gratification. So for me, I probably, it depends on the week or the month. I usually work, I think on average, maybe 60 hour weeks. Um, sometimes maybe 40 if it's a slower time period, but most of the time I'm working probably 70 to 80 and especially during COVID right now, I have been working closer to 70, 80 just because I don't know, actually. Honestly, it's like you, you have time and I think it's maybe easier to focus on things that will allow you to like push the envelope and expand on your level of, you know, success or achievement or just checking things instead of focusing on a lot of the not so positive things that are going on during this time. Yeah. Yeah. I would say that's probably spot on because my, I, there's a couple of friends that I check in with weekly and it's kind of nice to have that during this time. And I've kind of encouraged that to other people who are like, Oh, I'm lonely. And I'm like, well, you need to find a support group of, you know, it doesn't have to be the same person. It can be different people that you rotate through. Yeah. But it's nice to check in with other people and just say like, hey, what are you working on? And one of my good friends I was having weekly calls with, she's like, you know, most people usually run run away from the fire, which the fire was COVID. And you ran straight into the fire with an oil pump because (laughs) when COVID launched, I was also really sad for a couple of days. And I just was like, this is not a productive use of my time. And I'm not really helping anyone by just being sad in my room. And of course, everyone copes with stress and trauma differently. And I tend to cope better by working. And then, you know, I'll have pockets of, you know, where it hits me. I'm like, oh, we are going through a pandemic. I just forgot. I've been heads down working. And during COVID, I launched three kind of I wouldn't say nonprofit, but like three funds to help the city. And that really helped me cope through this time. And because of that, I was working so many hours. But I also think during this time, my business also took a hit because yeah. as a blogger slash influencer, my brand is completely dependent on advertising. And what's the first thing to go? Advertising is always the first thing to go. And advertising is down 50% across the industry right now as more and more companies 
are having smaller runways because people are just not spending money right now. And so you had a post recently that I really thought was super badass because it was talking about how right now people in the city aren't spending a lot of money. So business owners are kind of maybe going to you and saying, hey, girl, what should we do? Because they need the business needs to survive. And whenever you look at places like Shady Grove and some of these especially more old school Austin businesses that are being cut left and right, um, huts, thread gills, thread kills on burn it. I think there is a need to support these businesses. But if people aren't spending money, do you see a solution besides getting more advertising out there? Or is that the main solution? Man, this is a tough question. I, yeah, I, I would want to, I want to start this question with saying like, I feel very lucky and privileged to be in my position where I am able to impact and have a voice to thousands of people. But I think people also don't realize that this is very, I don't know, taxing is the right word, but it's, it, it puts a lot of stress and maybe just comfort on my shoulders because when COVID launched, and restaurant dining rooms were mandated to close on March 17th. And I, following those days, I probably had over 200 restaurant owners, but not just restaurant owners, but even server staff who were emailing me, DMing me saying, hey, will you please post to my restaurant? Because like, I love your brand. I follow you and I know you have an impact. And I'm so scared that if we don't get business, I'm going to get let go. And that wasn't the kind of person that I, us- I usually heard from it was always the restaurant owner or even the restaurant owner has a hired publicist and then the publicist will reach out to me because they want to keep their retainer yes um but it was a lot of people who actually worked within the restaurants and they were closed for i think what six weeks or something and now that they're starting to reopen it's kind of put me in a tough position because i got a lot of backlash the first like even before restaurants even before the city was put quarantine in place and yeah. Austin just started getting word that, hey, there's this pandemic that's trickling down from New York City. And it's about, this is like the the two days before South By was still being determined if it was, should be canceled, which that was a good decision. However, it was up for debate for days. At that time, we were not under quarantine. We were not under, you know, being mandated to stay at home. But I started getting tons of messages and DMs of people telling me, you need to stop dining out. You need to stop telling people to dine out because um, you're spreading the disease and like all these things that even people saying like, are you checking if the employees of each restaurant you're going to are not infected? Because if they are, then I'm going to, and if I dine there and I get sick, then I'm going to sue you. Like all these like really bizarre messages that I just never had received. And I, definitely felt put in a corner where I just kind of I think I hopped off social for a day because I just didn't even know what to say because I was like I've always supported local restaurants and I've never forcibly told anyone like you must go dine here like I see myself more as a suggestion and guide right like here's some here are 10 restaurants I like if you want to go there you don't want to go there (laughs) for sure um so Going back to your original question, yes. Now that dining rooms are reopen, reopening <laughs> and restaurant owners have been begging me and telling me, hey, will you come? The first couple I said, hey, I'm sorry, I just won't because I don't feel comfortable. Also, even if I come, I can't post about it. And I know that's why you want me to come. And they're like, well, why can't you post it? I'm like, because people will literally kill me online because they are so 
sensitive and they're ripping my head off for every little like thing. Um, and they're, they've been, I've been having ongoing conversations with restaurant owners and they're like, well, Jane, what am I supposed to do? Like we've been closed for six weeks and we've been doing takeout, but takeout's only like 10% of our revenue. And at this rate, like we're not going to be around in two months. Wow. Like, what do we, what do we do? And I've just been like, I don't know. I don't know what you do. I don't know. And they said like, well, should I even bother reopening my patio or should I even bother reopening my restaurant? Because if I do and I have to rehire my staff and I have to pay them, I can't be like, hey guys, so if we open today and nobody come, I, you're not going to get paid. You only get paid if people come, right? You can't say that. So even with that, restaurant owners have been asking me like, well, do you feel like people aren't going to come? And I was, at first I was like, I don't think my people are going to come just because I've asked on Instagram stories, I've done polls and the most recent one I posted a couple of days ago, 90% of my audience said they are staying in, that they're not gonna go out to dining rooms. And again, that's the kind of, I feel like I have a very curated and selected group of 75,000 people that follow me and every influencer has, you know, I've seen other influencers these couple of days who like one of them went out to a patio and they had music on and blasting. And I, I was shocked to see that kind of footage posted on their Instagram story Yeah, because they were out and about drinking. Like it was just a normal day, but you know what? Maybe that's the kind of audience that follows him. That's not the kind of audience that follows me. I never realized. So I, I just want to say, like, like truly not like an interview question, but just real talk. Um, I want to say thanks for being so vulnerable because that I don't think I had any idea the weight that's put on your shoulders, nor do I think that a lot of people do. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so, you know, first off, I'm super, super inspired by back to like positive talk, like everything that you do do for the city and with great responsibility comes like a lot of pressure and you have a lot of people are probably turning to you because they don't know where to turn. And I think that during this time, this pandemic, it's so important to fill yourself, no matter who that is out there with positive vibes and the envisionment of prosperity, because it's really easy to get down. Um, whether you're in the restaurant industry, you're an entrepreneur, you're an accountant, whoever, because times are tough. And so I think trying to uplift your vibration as an entrepreneur or an employee, either or, is so important. Um, Because, yeah, I I would have had no idea that you would have gotten a lot of slack. And it's different if you receive, like, let's talk pre-COVID for two seconds. If you get, like, some haters that are like, hey, I don't like your photo, you know, as, as soon as you start rolling on that track of greatness, you're going to get a little bit of shade. Well, I wasn't. I wasn't getting any, like, hate comments at all. So most influencers are like, Jane, I get 10 a day. And you're telling me you got one this, like, year? And I'm like, but you don't understand. I never get things like that. So when they come in, it, like, really beats me down. For sure. And I I got so much during COVID and... I mean, I think influencers across the board did that influencers across the board are getting shamed that we seem tone like not me, but like influencer industry seems tone deaf because you have fashion influencers who are still posting outfit photos 
like it's a normal day and posting vacation, you know, outfits. And then you have, I don't know, like makeup people still like, you know, and they're just like, wow, they seem so tone deaf. And I'm like, well, it's because we're all going through this together and there's been no playbook on here's what kind of content you post when there's a pandemic. Absolutely. And I mean, and it's it's for businesses all over. Like it's, I so I started this podcast and I started recording episodes um, late last year and I started stockpiling and doing edits and it was here in the garage, and then all of a sudden, COVID hit, and that changed everything. And honestly, it got, like, we, our company um, had a tremendous hit, and it really kind of shook the water for a second. Well, after doing extensive reading and just soul-searching about, like, what is it that we can do, I just find it, for me, difficult to focus only on, like, the negative feelings or the vibrations, and right now, with local businesses, it's like my heart goes out so intensely because I love the city and I love culture, which is really what this podcast is about, is just like preserving culture in any way you can. And so is there an easy solution right now? Maybe not, but I think carrying forth just like, at least if you can throw, if you're out there, at least by throwing some positive vibes out into the city, like that in general is just super, super important, at least to me as an entrepreneur. So whenever you just had the idea to start on your book, did you know kind of the game plan that you had for your book, the impact that it was going to have on the city? So before I answer the book, I just wanted to hop back to the original question. So I think for any restaurant owners that are listing or, and especially any maybe patrons who are wanting to dine out um, and just listening to, I've been very open on keeping open conversation with my Uh, followers, I guess. And the consensus I'm hearing is, can the restaurant set up a very strict reservation system? So if I go, I know there's going to be a cap. It's not just like, oh, come in, we're going to try and crowd in as many people because I've heard, and I love Chewy's, um, but I was quite alarmed when a lot of people told me like the patio was just 100% at capacity, like it's a normal day. And I think the kind of people that follow me, that's not the kind of situation they want to end in or be involved in. So the ask that they've been saying is, can restaurants put up a very strict reservation system where, and I, again, I don't know if this even makes sense from the restaurant's perspective, because you're definitely barely breaking even, right? If you're not, if you're having to do that. So, but that's what I've heard. So if any restaurant owners are listening, I think that's what the people want is they want reservations set up. They want to know that tables are six feet apart. They want to know that your staff is going to have is going to be wearing a mask. They want to know that the plates are disposable. That seems like that's what they also want, which I, I was surprised to hear that too. They don't want, because they're worried, you know, if someone ate off that plate and you washed it and it wasn't, let's say, put in a dishwasher at X amount of temperature that's not sanitized. Um, so anyway, to finish up on that. Yeah. And then to go back on the book, yes. So this book was made very intentionally because I've been thinking about it for five years. The last five years I've been collecting and hoarding different travel books as I, whether it's locally at Book People or just even when I go to different countries and I see like a local shop has a travel book, I'll I'll buy it, I'll pick it up and kind of look at it and dissect it, figure out what I like about and what I didn't like about it. And While there are a ton of travel books on Austin, Texas, I just felt like if I went to book people and picked one up before I made mine and I was a tourist, I didn't feel like the ones that were on the shelf 
actually told someone the most up-to-date information and actually told you where to eat. Because if that was the case, then my website and my Instagram would not be getting the kind of traffic that it does. And I just felt like books were not really made for what the kind of traveler needs right now. And um, I've also had feedback say like, why did you make a travel book for people that live here in the city when that's not, those are the kind of people who don't need a travel book, right? It's always tourists. And I'm like, well, then why do people ask me every single day and depend on me to give them recommendations? Yeah. It's because they know that I'm in the know. And yes, I have free content that's on the website. You have free content on my Instagram. You can either DM me, you can text me. Like there's all these free resources. But even with that, I think the numbers speak alone is that I've sold thousands of this book and I definitely didn't expect that to happen. Um, My goal was to sell one book. That was honestly my goal because I was not sure if this is something that people wanted to buy. And I've been quite surprised that about 50% of the people who have bought it live here in Austin and about 50 are out of other states because they are visiting and they are the tourists um, or they're they're about to be residents, right? That's a lot of people who are buying my book. It's like, hey, Coco, I followed you for three years. I live in San Francisco or I live in New York and you're the reason why I moved here. Like I've heard that many, many times. Um, I wish I got like a referral fee. That'd be like cool. <laughs> from yeah. the city. Um, but yeah, the book was made very intentionally based on the kind of content I know my follower is looking for and the kind of questions that people ask me. So it's like date night, a weekend itinerary, what kind of events are happening in May? Um, What are the best breakfast spots? Like, hey Coco, I just moved to South Austin. We're about to buy a house. Um, What are some restaurants in this area? Because I want to make sure that we'll have places that we can visit during the week. Just like questions like that every single day. So I just knew that this book needed to include all sorts of things that kind of answered my most frequently asked questions. Well, and that's interesting too. So regarding you kind of compiling information or even just organizing your day, are there systems that you use daily to keep track of all the projects? Because between posting things on Instagram and then even creating a book, that's a lot of content. And that is a lot of different ideas to keep track of, you know? I think that's why I'm like always working is I just have dozens of tabs open in my head, but I use a variety of tools. I've been using Asana, which is a project management tool for teams that I'm a team of one, but I've been using that for four years for, and I have it organized by month. So January, February, March. So each column has all my projects. I also rely heavily on notes on my iPhone. So I have hundreds of notes on there of just different things I'm thinking of or something I need to do. And then um, during COVID, I've been a big fan because everything, I've been spending so much time on the computer. I've resorted back to just a good old colored pen and paper um, to write things down. Um, And then when I was working on the book, so I did the book in five weeks. I don't know if you're aware of that. I don't know if most people are aware of that. So usually the typical book takes a year um especially if you work with a publisher then it can be even longer because they take editing and printing time if it's a recipe book it can take two years depending on how many recipes this is just from a a recent recipe blogger that i connected with and i was like how long have you been working on your book and she was like two years 
And she had like 150 recipes. And she's like, well, how long did it take to do yours? And I was like, uh, five weeks. Wow. <laughs> and she was like, how? And I was like, well, I, I've had, during that time, I had eight years of content, right? So I have been technically working on the content this entire time. But the biggest headache was organizing thousands and thousands of photos and figuring out which ones were going to make it into the book. And then... The hardest thing was creating an Excel sheet. That's really how I did the book is I created a master Excel sheet and basically brain dumped eight years of knowledge onto an Excel sheet that I didn't then moved on, moved into a, a mocked up PowerPoint um, template of pages of the book. And then I hired a designer and then we then moved all that content onto InDesign. Wow. Which then I picked up InDesign in two days. Um, and these are just, I think, for anyone that's listening, is like, well, how do you how do you achieve a success or how do you get projects done? Like, the secret is if you just work. Yeah. Like, did I want to pick up InDesign? No. Will I ever use InDesign again? Probably not. But that's what you have to do when you want to get things done. Is I picked up InDesign in two days and figured out how to move content over because bless my designer, but we had a tight timeline. I knew she wasn't able to move over and design the content as quickly as I was willing to do it because I was willing to pull all-nighters and I moved over all the content. But that's what you have to do if you want to get things done. Wow. And, and you know, there's a quote that says, like, all overnight, like, I guarantee that all overnight successes took a really, really long time. So, <laughs> yeah, like, you know, Theoretically, five weeks is true, but also like you come from like a level of expertise that took a really long time to master. So, I mean, I think that that's incredible. Coco, if people were to look for you um, online or pick up a copy of your book, where could they find you at? Yes, yeah, so you can find A Taste of Coco on every single social media platform. Um, I'm also on TikTok, but I'm not an avid user of it. So my most <laughs> preferred platform is, is Instagram. So I do answer all my DMs. So if you have any questions on um, where to eat or things to do, I'm your person. And then for my book, it was in 40 locations in Austin. Um, and what I mean by was is because most shops are still closed. Um, but if you feel like you want a book right now, the fastest way for it to get in your hands is visiting A-Town, which is in central Austin. It's a great gift shop or purchasing on Amazon. And all you have to do is type in Coco book on Amazon and it'll come up. Awesome. One last question for you. For anybody that's out there that wants to start something new or join a new team and they're battling with nervousness and not knowing how they should pull the trigger, I know that you were count you counseled with whole foods in your early days and you were also uh, a partner with carnival cruise whenever you did something that was really big were you nervous and if so how did you kind of tackle some of those some of those nerves <laughs> i'm kind of going back to the metaphor that my friend drafted up for me is that i run into the fire <laughs> with a gas pump because i don't know i think so in these last five years i've worked with 300 brands and that's a ton of brands. And the biggest one that I worked with was New York Times. And I think it's, I mean, it was very cool. Did I aspire to cross that off my bucket list? No, because it's not attainable. And I didn't know that I would get a call from New York Times. Um, I think it was four years ago now. 
Um, but I think for all the projects and the more projects that you do and the more opportunities you get is, and I say this too because I had an opportunity, I think five years ago when Oprah Magazine, her network flew me to LA to film a commercial for Ikea and um, I was sitting on this couch and I, I feel like I blacked out for minutes when they were like, I just couldn't believe I was sitting there in their network. Yeah. Um, and I think from that experience, I just realized you have to recover quickly and convert scared energy into excited energy. So that's kind of what I do. I think maybe sometimes I get scared or nervous and I, I'm very thoughtful about things I'm going to do. So um, I'll muddle on things for a long time. But when I get an opportunity, I just get excited. And um, I don't think there's time to get scared. I mean, be thoughtful with your decisions and make sure you're doing the right things. And especially if you're wanting to do something online, know that it's very vulnerable and you put yourself in a position where people can tear you down. And you have to remember that if you don't have the appetite for that, then it's probably not for you because having an online business or being an online personality takes a lot. And I think people don't understand that is that unfortunately it's very easy for someone to write mean or criticizing things over a computer, over a phone. And, you know, it's just so easy to do that. And you have to have that kind of appetite to be prepared for that. Sincerely, um, thank you so much. I always hear amazing, amazing things about you. And as you work with restaurants and my buddy who works at uh, Commodore downtown, he said he saw you come in one time and you were taking photos. And he's like, I was just so inspired. And so I think the thing I think that is so amazing is like you the ripple of- really like makes me paranoid because <laughs> <laughs> I, I try to be as discreet as I can when I go to places and I think I forget that obviously my photo is everywhere. And I think I also feel like I always have this suspicion that maybe my photo is hanging up in the kitchen in some restaurants because I feel like sometimes I, I come and I'm discreet and then this doesn't happen often, but sometimes it does is I sit down and I'm like eating and then they're like, Oh, courtesy of the kitchen. And I'm just like, where did this come from? Like, do they have my photo in the kitchen where they're like, Oh, she's here. <laughs> Um, I don't know. Um, I try to be discreet as possible. Like, sometimes I'll disguise myself as, like, oh, I'm just, I work in marketing. I'm just here to shoot some photos for a magazine I work with. I don't know. I usually, like, make something up. And then yeah. and then afterward, they're like, aren't you Coco? And I'm like, yes. <sighs> yes. Just getting some photos for the website. It's just <laughs> me. Um, but, you know, like, truly, I think that the ripple effect that you that, that all of us have as people, like, we will know, never know the true impact of our work. And because your work is so very much out there in the public eye and it really inspires people, I feel like the magic that is going to manifest because of, of your book and your content and even just, like, your overall attitude online, it's cool. Like, I think that it helps change the perception of what it means to be an influencer and active in, in the city and why it's important to contribute to your community. I just, I appreciate this opportunity. Um, once again, guys, if y'all need to find Coco online, um, please check out her Instagram and Coco, thank you. I appreciate you. Thank you.